warm welcome to all our listeners and to everyone in the room. This is the first Capgemini retail podcast where we're going to be exploring hot topics within the retail industry. I'm joined today by one of our sustainability managers, Harry Ashman, and one of our associate consultants, Lucy Harriet, who's recently written a blog on sustainability within fast fashion, which brings us nicely onto the topic of today's show. So sustainability has definitely become one of the focal points of both consumer and retailers, but particularly over the past few years. We've seen all sorts of pledges and initiatives ranging from companies wanting to have zero global emissions to having a completely circular product lifecycle. And this is particularly relevant with fast fashion, which is arguably one of the biggest offenders. So I think the first topic we'd like to delve into is where does this impetus come from? So in general, in the sustainability arena, we're seeing an increasing awareness of environmental and general sustainability issues. For example, the Extinction Rebellion made quite a splash when they uh, had their recent events in London and around the world. Um, And unlike carbon emissions, you can see the impacts of fashion. So carbon is is invisible, but it is obviously a hugely impactful topic. But fashion is, is closer to home. Uh, when you pick a, a sustainable or an ethical fashion brand, you're almost wearing your, your ethics and your morals on your sleeve. And the impacts of throwing away a T-shirt or an item of clothing are far more noticeable than that of burning a fossil fuel and causing the carbon emissions. So people are much more aware of it and it's uh, it's really rising up the agenda. Um, yep. And as well as that, so millennials overall are starting to say that they really need to see the evidence of the integrity in what they're buying and what they're wearing. Um, and they're really starting to account for the cost to society in the garments that they're buying and wearing every day. And I think that this is really translating into aware- an awareness of the impact of both the amount of clothing that they're buying and the type of clothing that they're purchasing. Um So they're demanding to know what are the clothes made of, how transparent is its supply chain, is it produced in a sustainable human and environmental conditions, Um, and has it been shipped from the other side of the world for me to wear? And what we're seeing is that these questions are moving from being peripheral, peripheral concerns with little importance in consumption decisions towards being at the very heart of fashion consumption decisions. Yeah, I think it really shows kind of how the whole industry is kind of waking up to the change as well so it really drives innovation through that given it's such a focal topic yeah and the the question of of transparency people wanting to know where everything is coming from is a really key one you see a lot of uh, retailers having targets on on sustainable sourcing for example and that is where we really do see the increasing use of technology and the impact that technology can make in helping to track the uh, the progeny of various different resources uh, particularly in fashion it's coming out in food as well yeah, I think it's really important that because it's such a hard thing to visualize that people can really understand the impact on the natural resources, given particularly in fashion, uh, something like a quarter of all carbon is driven by the fashion industry. So it's clear that fashion is really ripe for change in that area. Um, so going further into that, it's really ripe for innovation, particularly in the fashion industry, where there's so much ability to be creative, so much ability to engage with consumers. And I think it's really good to kind of uh, showcase some of these examples where, you know, retailers are really making an effort. For example, we've seen ASOS um, on their website. They've added a filter for you can check whether a brand is made sustainably and ethically. We've also seen companies like North Face and Patagonia using recycled materials instead of down. Uh, North Face even engineered some uh, spider silk with the help of Japanese companies specifically for that purpose. 
So those are, those are some really good examples, but they're often, uh, when you get the outdoor companies, they're often quite niche. One of my favorite examples is looking at H&M, who were obviously one of the, the drivers behind fast fashion in the first place, but they are now leading the push towards more circularity in the fashion industry. Uh, for example, you can recycle clothes in, in their stores, no matter what the brand they're from. Um, you've also got companies like Rapa Nui, which are based on a kind of a surfer look and a surfer lifestyle with a, with a close link to, to the outdoors. And they are using recycled materials. So rather than just breaking down T-shirts or old pieces of clothing into uh, sofa stuffing, they're taking it all the way back down into its uh, into its original materials and using that to then build up back into T-shirts. So becoming much more circular rather than uh, reusing it for a, a lower purpose, as it were. Yeah, and it seems all the different brands are kind of waking up to the benefits of a circular economy. We've seen H&M make their pledge for 2030. We've seen Zara make theirs for 2025. So I think it'll be really interesting to see just how well we can hit these targets. Um, yes, and as well as that, the um, another really interesting area is the rental and subscription market within fashion. So rental and subscription models are growing really fast within the fashion industry, um, which is great for sustainability because if each piece of clothing is shared across multiple people rather than just being worn by one person. This is far better for the environment. Um, And for example, one of these um, rental companies is Rent the Runway. This was the first proper rental company within fashion. um, And it's renting out high-end and formal clothing. And then you've got Haverdash, which is a newer clothing subscription startup offering rental and subscription for everyday clothing. Um, and some other traditional, more traditional retailers have seen this success and started dipping into the rental and subscription market. Uh, for example, Urban Outfitters will shortly launch its own clothing subscription service and um, called Newly. And American Eagle will soon start offering clothing rental as well. So with all of these, uh, all these rental uh, operations, we won't even own the shirts on our backs, will we? Um, yeah, that's, that could be the case, Howie. So as well as that, obviously, these are all great initiatives. We've seen, for example, uh, Adidas and Stella McCartney utilizing ocean plastic again um, so that people can create shoes and then send them back almost in a subscription service, which we've seen. But they're trying to push a more circular economy through their footwear. But these are all great innovative ideas. But what are the kind of challenges that retailers can face doing this? Um, So one of the biggest issues with the rental and subscription models that I mentioned is that uh, consumers in general are quite averse to wearing clothes that someone else has worn. So even if that piece of clothing has been washed as much as possible, no matter how clean it is, I think it's going to be a bit of an uphill battle for uh, rental and subscription businesses within fashion to... um, kind of uh, it's going to be a bit of an uphill battle with that until sharing clothes becomes more normalized within society um and raj mentioned as well the adidas parley collaboration um which involves upcycling uh so using trash to create trash from the ocean to create shoes and clothes and bags and other apparel um and that's a really really great process but the problem with it at the moment is that it's really expensive um and so the cost of upcycling to produce clothing is really prohibitive um and it's that's the main thing that's stopping it from entering the mass market and from that's stopping it and regular retailers from entering that area yeah and i think it as well as that it's also trying to kind of change consumers behaviors a bit if you can get consumers 
almost entrenched into a sustainable mindset, it will definitely make a much bigger difference from both the company and the consumer's point of view. Because ultimately, fast fashion drives poor behaviours. We've seen, for example, ASOS uh, banning some serial returners. Um, we've seen other retailers implementing different policies and technologies to help combat this, either through QR codes or other technological innovation. So maybe through helping to block returners, people seeing clothes as almost a temporary item and almost increasing that wear it for life uh, thought, we might be able to see a real growth in sustainable initiatives. And this idea of changing behaviours isn't only affecting the fashion industry, it, it affects society as a whole. How do we move away from this kind of consumptive mindset that we all have? Uh, in addition, in, in the world of fashion, there's also the question of the complexity of supply chains. So it's very difficult to manage the supply chain to see uh, which suppliers and which resources are ethically or sustainably sourced. You you might have one large brand that is that is working with hundreds of various different cotton farms, for example. How do they know that all of them are growing their cotton in the, in the prescribed manner? And how do they track that throughout the supply chain to be able to then communicate that to consumers? In addition, What's the best way of communicating that to consumers? Uh, is it through labelling? Is it through information campaigns? And also there are various different badges to certify that resources are sustainable or ethically made. Uh, you look at food, say, and you, you have fair trade, you have organic. You know, coffee alone, I think there's six or seven different certifications, and it's no different with clothing. Uh, finally, when, one good, when goods are sold, it's then down to the consumers to dispose of or manage their products better. Uh, is completely out of the retailer's hands. And again, that goes back to, to your point, Raj, of how do you change their behaviours and how do you inform them to make better decisions? Yeah, it really shows the kind of end-to-end journey, both at the start of the product life cycle, where the company is responsible for all their vendors and suppliers, making sure it has you know better cotton initiatives or leather tannery certifications, whatever it may be. And you see that either through kind of vertical integration of the supply chain, where they take control of it themselves, and then they can say, we know that this is what it is. Or we can see it once it passes down to the, the uh, consumer. So, for example, Rapa Nui, they stitch in a QR code, um, which provides a discount when items are returned. So consumers know that they're giving something back. And we've also seen other fast fashion brands being able to scan a QR code on labels where you can see a product's history. But what could retailers do more and where will the industry potentially go next, do we think? So for me, I think retailers in the fashion industry need to take a uh, to, need to follow the example of brands in in other industries where purpose has become a really key driver of growth. So you look at Unilever last year; the vast majority of their growth actually came from what they call purposeful brands. And how can fashion retailers follow this? How can ethical lines become the norm and become central to their strategies to really drive growth and drive uh, drive the spread of this, uh, what is quite a promising trend, but let's face it, it's not quite big enough yet. And something else really interesting that's going on, um, particularly within the online fashion industry, is that a lot of those online fashion delivery companies are looking into the transportation and packaging that they're using. Um, so they're looking at using only uh, recycled plastic for the packaging for their clothing deliveries and reducing virgin plastic usage in their transportation plastic. And they're also looking at using other ways of using other recycled materials for packaging and postage bags for online services. Um, And a lot of those big retailers as well, like ASOS, for example, are looking at partnering with delivery firms, which only use electrical vehicles within their delivery network as well. 
Yeah, I think there's a real opportunity then for brands to almost work together. If they collaborate and pool their resources, there's definitely a bigger impact they can make. We've seen that particularly in the luxury world. We've seen, for example, recently uh, numerous luxury brands, including Burberry, um, stating, you know, we want to come together and have zero net global emissions together as an industry. We've also seen at one of the recent London Fashion Weeks, all these different luxury brands making pledges regarding this. If they all come together and demand ethical, sustainable practice from their suppliers, then the benefits to sustainability for both the consumer and the planet as a whole will surely increase. And this practice of clubbing together is what you're seeing in other industries as well. For example, in sustainable investment, it's very common for large alliances of asset owners and asset managers to come together to use their scale to exert pressure on companies. And perhaps retailers need to need to do this more. I know they've started with things like the Ethical Cotton Initiative, but but how can they do more and how can they really start to put the pressure back down the supply chain to, to increase the uh, environmental performance? Yeah, and it really is great to see over the past few years particularly all these initiatives coming to fruition. I mean, it seems like every week we're seeing some new sustainable initiative by a fashion brand, by a company, and you never know what's going to come next, really. So where do we think this could end up going in the next six months? Well, given that it's 2019, um, a lot of retailers are coming to the end of their 2020 strategy cycles. You've mentioned that Zara and H&M are, are putting out new targets for the, for the next decade. Uh, and I believe we'll start to see a lot of new ambitious goals coming through. Yeah, and I think it will only increase. I don't think we're at the peak of customer demands. And in particular, the focus from media organizations will surely be a, a key driving factor uh, purely by the levels of scrutiny that brands are facing. For example, we saw Stockholm Fashion Week, Fashion Week cancelled recently due to uh, sustainability concerns. San Juan's recent runway shoot um, has received tons of criticism and fines for having building a runway on a naturally protected beach which they should have taken kind of more precautions around. Um, yeah, and I think as well as that, I'm hoping that the industry will start to look at sustainability more holistically because a fashion brand, all of these fashion brands that we've been talking about doing one-off sustainable collections doesn't really make a long-term difference. And those smaller niche eco brands are really great, but when sustainability is embedded into the supply chain, it's automatically embedded into the products as well. So a holistic 360 degree approach to sustainability from big, fashion labels is really key uh, so I think making sustainability a basic principle in fashion design and manufacturing rather than as a niche specialized area is hopefully where the industry will be going next yeah definitely so um so we're going to start to wrap things up now um but thank you all for listening and thank you particularly to Harry and Lucy in the room for their views to stay tuned to our future episodes, you can subscribe to the Capgemini podcast using your favorite podcasting app, for example, SoundCloud or iTunes. Thank you for listening.